Welcome to the Mike Go Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Bierman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Yo, yo, yo. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado and also my friend, Shane Cunningham. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a good show today because we're uh, interviewing Jason Reitman along with Xander Lehman, who created the show Casual. Casual. Yes, which is uh, now on Crave TV. Bell Media. Canadian Jason Reitman. Canadian Jason Reitman. But also Hollywood family kind of thing. Hollywood royalty. They have a they have a, a square in downtown Toronto. There Reitman Square. That's where we go to the Tiff Lightbox there. That's the, the square is named after them? Yeah, it's Reitman Square. I didn't even know that. Who do you prefer? Who? Jason or uh Ivan? Yeah. Well, Ivan did Ghostbusters, oh, yeah. which I love to death. But I think Jason's done uh I mean He's more of our time, so I think he, he's not recently. It. Okay, he's a guest on this show, Shane. <laughs> Thank you for smoking Up in the Air, Juno. That's like a trifecta of it amazing is. films. It is. That's why we have Shane to give it to you straight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll get to Jason and Xander in a bit. Uh, but first, we all just got back from the Bahamas. Uh, Shane, Max, mm-hmm. myself, we were... Um, on your bachelor trip. On my bachelor and trip. And you know, the tagline of the show is, see you next week if we don't die on the weekend. And we almost died this and weekend. And yeah, the execs at Bell Media were a little worried that the show was, you know, going to have to be canceled because <laughs> we'd all be dead. The whole brain trust was on this trip. It, it <laughs> that is also true. You, me, Shane, and then our the boss man, Justin. Yeah. The guy who approves these episodes was on the trip as well. Yeah. Uh, and he was in good shape, actually. Yeah. we I saw an email where he said he was a fatty because he got worried about our last pod. Oh, yeah. He was, he was worried because, you know, we were talking about in the last episode about getting in shape for the bahamas and uh I justin's in great shape and justin yeah. you know we won't say his age but he's a he's a good looking gentleman <laughs> um, so we had 18 guys on this trip yeah 18 dudes so you describe mike for our listeners who who the, some of the friends were where they come from in your life sure well so i'm from hamilton ontario originally but mm-hmm. i've worked in toronto for the last decade more and so i've got this um I, I really got like sort of i got lots of groups of friends i'm very fortunate um so we got the champagne boys which we talk about all the time yeah which is a bunch of the hamilton guys and then i have a bunch of the toronto guys that i've worked with for years that were in your department like for it, 10 years absolutely yeah. guys that like i love to death like more so than coworkers. they're genuine friends and a lot of these guys have gone on to work at other companies at this point they're not even in the department anymore and One guy lives in L.A. He works for Amazon. He flew in from L.A. Yeah, to another, come to the Bahamas. Another works for a competitor that we won't mention on this show because a competitor of Bell. That's correct. I'm a company man. Uh, Shane it's is Vice and Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of creative types. A lot of very quick thinking, funny people. And the, one of the nicest parts of the trip was. At the last dinner, a few of us made speeches. Oh, yeah. Really uh, nice. And said very nice things about you. And then I think everybody kind of wished they had made a speech <laughs> uh, because, but, but didn't have the balls to do it in the moment. So, they, so this email chain started to come up. And everybody basically made their speech, but in this email chain that, w- that was circulated the day we got home. It was, it was, I'll say this, it was very kind and overwhelming. And you don't know what to think when people say such nice things about you. But it's also like... Ridiculous! Like I'm like this. Like save some of this for the funeral, boys. Hey, no, but you, but you know what? I think it's so. It was, I loved hearing all the speeches. I loved reading all the speeches because uh, there was such uh, you know warmth, and everybody has such affection for you. And I think those are the kinds of things that should be said to the person while they're living. Like, why do we have to wait for you to be dead? So there's a lot of awesome stories that were. E- we told, don't need to read e- these. It's. I feel the thing is, it's like it's an testament to how amazing the 17 guys that came on this trip, besides myself, the fact that they would just write such kind and sort of overwhelmingly flattering things. I'm just. I'm. I'm really humbled, and I'm so lucky to. You know, I, I wrote an email before we went on the trip, thanking all of you and explaining who you are and what you mean to me. If some guys maybe didn't know each other on this trip, yeah. And just everybody was so great. And I said this in my email when we got back. I'm like, one of the things that makes 
all you guys so great, is so many times on this trip, individually, someone will come up to me and then talk about how great other people were that they yeah. just met. Oh, yeah. You know, it'd be like Julian going, oh my God, Chris Wong's the best guy I in love the world. C. Wong. And exactly. the thing which was fun because uh, the Champagne Boys hang out with each other all the time, but uh, it was really great getting to know people who you don't see or you've met a few times at at a party or something exactly. in Toronto, but you really got to spend quality time. So and there's one character who I really didn't, who I probably knew the least, uh, Justin Hayes. Oh yeah. Uh, and who, for our listeners, he looks and acts like Channing Tatum. He's literally, <laughs> six, I think more Ryan Reynolds, maybe mixed with Channing He looks Tatum. a little yeah. bit more like Channing Tatum. Okay. He's like six foot three is as built as Channing Tatum, but, and he even kind of talks like Channing Tatum. He has mm-hmm. some Ryan Reynolds like sensibility too, though. I agree. And, uh, uh, Justin Hayes was my first ever roommate in Toronto. We grew like I I started working at much. I was a young guy. It was time for me to move out of my house, and I answered an internet ad uh, about an apartment split. And Justin was the guy that lived there. I move in. I'm like 20, 21. I'm like I don't know. This is the first time I ever lived my own. I sit in my bedroom by myself, shut the door. I'm like I don't know what you do. And there's like a a knock on my door. I'm like yeah. He was like hey bud, you uh you want to get a beer? We get a beer and literally have been close friends for the last like decade. And you proceeded uh, in those following five years to drink about 10,000 beers? Yeah, at one point we almost drank Toronto Dry. (laughs) Were you shocked when a random roommate showed up and he was like a hot guy? So he already had the place. He had a guy move out. So I actually had to like go and audition for the place. And he said in the years since... There, I guess some really hot girl had like done a walkthrough just 20 <laughs> minutes before me. And basically he was waiting to see if she was going to accept the apartment. And then when she didn't call back, he begrudgingly took me on. <laughs> That's so funny. I love the idea because he's from Grimsby. Originally. He's yeah. So he's like one of us. Yeah. And I love the idea of like two young guys, like kind of moving into the city and, and like kind of finding each other very randomly. And Justin being like, you know, Six foot three, and you're five nine, but just like, oh, that's generous. <laughs> Mike's growing, <laughs> but just like, Late but, but both like kind of small town guys, but oh, with yeah. all the confidence in the world, and just like going out and exploring Toronto. Like that narrative is is really uh, you know awesome to think about. I couldn't have found a better roommate because we've all heard horror stories about people randomly living with somebody, and it's just the worst. To get someone mm-hmm. that's so like positive and funny and cool, and then on my bachelor trip. In a decade later, you know, when we were dividing up roommates, yeah, Dan, uh, Dan Hamilton uh, got set up with Justin, and Dan is sort of like the most like flamboyant, like says whatever is on his mind all the time, <laughs> and so Dan's been doing this thing lately where, uh, especially drunk, where he he tells everybody he's uh, bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying it. <laughs> Yo, yeah, I'm not doubting it, but I haven't heard no, him say this. Is, uh, and Greg, who's my roommate, and Dan's best friend, is like he's not bisexual. He's he's just sort of saying this because he likes to think of him himself as like a liberal progressive guy (laughs) (laughs) so but i think he kind of opened with that around justin which is just like a hilarious and justin doesn't care but just like okay and then he started talking about masturbating a lot yeah like dan was talking about joing like uh, that was the second thing he said yeah and so uh there's a few moments where you kind of looked over as dan was telling some stupid story and you Uh, go which way is this gonna go yeah yeah exactly but i mean it goes both ways with him (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, Hayes don't care. And that's the thing. Everybody was uh, everybody was a great guy. And the fact that it ended with the Raptors winning that, that was game the best. is insane. So this is the best part. So we do this whole weekend and, you know, it's the Sunday and we're all winding down. We've been going like basically nonstop since a Thursday. Everybody's drinking and uh, <laughs> we're all hanging out and we're having this great time. And then it's the Raptors versus the Heat in game seven. So we all go to this sports bar that's at the resort. And there's lots of Canadians, but there's also some Americans that just don't like how rowdy these Raptors fans are being. And when the Raptors started to pull ahead and actually, like, you knew they were going to win it, they were up by 20, 
it was kind of like I looked around and I was surrounded by all of my friends and the Raptors were going to the Eastern Conference Final. And, and for our listeners, everybody on the trip, like probably the 18 guys, like 14 follow basketball very closely. And you are the most diehard basketball and Raptors fan of the 14 of us. So you were <laughs> locked in at the bar. You weren't really like socializing during the game. You had like a beer in front of you at the bar and you were locked into the game. So carry on. Yeah, I mean, so at the moment where the buzzer sounded and the raps were going to the Eastern Conference final and I'm at the end of this bachelor trip and we're in the Bahamas and people are cheering in the bar and I'm surrounded by all my friends was uh, the perfect way to end the trip. So you're pumping your chest a lot. I'll say as a longtime suffering Raptors fan, it was very cathartic to watch them go on to the Eastern Conference finals yeah. and to have it happen around all of my friends on my bachelor trip in the Bahamas uh, was all a boy could ask for. We didn't die on the weekend. And because we didn't, we got a podcast. Oof. Today's guests are Jason Reitman and Xander Lehman. They have a show called Casual. Mm-hmm. And now this interview is interesting because, Max, this is our first phoner ever. Yeah, we, we didn't know how we'd feel about phoners because I think a lot of the good podcasts are in person and you kind of feel the intimacy between the guests and the host. But uh, we realized, you know, there's some there are some podcasts like Simmons' podcast. He does a lot of stuff over the phone. And we said, yeah, let's give it a go because the, we have the luxury of being able to experiment a little bit uh, when it comes to like the form of this show and what works and what doesn't work. So I thought it actually turned out pretty good given that it was like your first time interviewing someone over the phone. And it's, it is a somewhat unnatural thing. But, uh, but I, I was really happy we did it. I didn't, I didn't know the differences between their voices at first, which is one of the first things I say. I'm like, all right, guys, I got to figure you dudes out. Yeah, and I think um, what interested me about getting to interview two guys that are part of the show is that Reitman is – a pretty well-established guy, and Lehman is a pretty new writer. So I was really curious to know, like, how that works, how how a new sort of unestablished writer in Hollywood gets his script in the hands of Jason Reitman. All right. Let's get to it. So I'm trying to sort of figure out whose voice is which, but I think we'll get it as we go along. It's a little tricky. I, Tanner, I didn't realize how similar our voices were until we started doing this kind of stuff. It's funny. It's uh, we have a similar cadence to our speech. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna start because uh, I think our listeners. We always on this show sort of get into the minutia of how sort of you know uh, creatives do their work, and I think we're gonna start with. Um, Sort of how the process of, you know, a script written by Xander lands in the hands of Jason and then sort of how those conversations go and how long this has sort of been in the making. What does that look like? How do you get the script from you, Xander, to Jason and then ultimately getting it made? Um, This is Xander. I I feel like I was very lucky in that Jason and I both share a television agent. So I wrote the script ahead of time. I wrote it on spec and my agent said, this would be great for Jason. Um, He was in the middle of finishing up a movie. So I, I waited some time for him because he was the dream director for this project. And when it finally got into his hands and he read it, thankfully responded to it, we sat down, um, me, him, and his producer, Helen Estabrook, who, who's fantastic. And the three of us sort of talked about exactly what this show would look like, um, what else was required as far as um, selling it, and what we needed to do to make it so we could get a full season order. And what that, what that ended up being was me writing a second episode. And then when we had two episodes and Jason it became a, a conversation of, okay, we have this, this sort of presentation of what the show is. Let's go take it out. Let's see who would be willing to make it. Um, it I think we were very much on the same page tonally and sort of what we were looking for in a show. So I, I took all of his and Helen's notes, um, and we ended up with something that I think we're all pretty happy with. Right. And Jason, when you, you know, I'm sure you probably see a lot of scripts uh, come across your desk. What was it about casual that made you want to jump in bed and do this thing? 
You know, I think it comes down to two things with the screenplay. Uh, first, you know, does it have a voice? And Casual had a voice. Uh, Xander's, you know, writing voice was so smart, so funny, and so unique. Um, and it felt like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a new conversation, and that, that's really exciting for me. Um, and second, you know, what does it have to say? And here was this script that had this uh, kind of daringly funny relationship between a brother and sister who were very vulnerable with each other and were willing to talk about all things, including their sex lives. Uh, and I, I just thought, I don't have a relationship like this with my sister. <laughs> And I've never seen anything like this on screen. I want to be the, the guy who gets the chance to make this. Um, and, you know, Xander, when you get that call and it's like, we're going to go forward, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Like, wow, we're, shit, we're going to make this thing. I, I mean, I was so naive at that point. I had no idea what it really meant. Um, <laughs> it's funny. We took, the, you know, when Jason came on board officially, I said, this, this is amazing. This is fantastic. And, of course, in this business, you expect that nothing will ever happen. So, of course, we took the show out, we pitched it, and I got a job almost immediately after we pitched the show as a staff writer on another show, and I took that job because I was poor and needed money to survive. And then <laughs> the first day of that job, we got the call that the show was sort of officially ordered to 10 episodes, and so I got to do a, I got to do a crash course in someone else's writer's room as far as how, how to actually make it work. So it was... Um, it was it was a crazy it was a crazy month or two there where I had no idea what was going to happen and when it finally did and the ink was dried it was um, I mean it's incredibly exciting obviously to work with someone that you respect and whose movies you love and to get to do your own project you know it's, it's just a rare thing and um, yeah I, I've been sort of living this strange surreal dream for the last year and a half. <laughs> um, Jason's story is quite well known, um, but Sander like. How did you? I mean, how did you get to Hollywood? How did you get into writing? Were your parents creative? What was your path there? Uh, I, I come from a sort of similar background as Jason. My father is a director, um, so I grew up in this in this world. And he, to his credit, always discouraged me from going into it. <laughs> it would lead lead me to much unhappiness. Um, and and eventually, I just didn't listen to him. And I did four years as a development assistant and pushed a mail card and did all that all that fun media labor and was writing all the, all the while because I just I couldn't help myself and it was something that gave me creative fulfillment never really expecting to make a career out of it until you know lo and behold someone someone decided to buy a pilot of mine and then a movie and then this show and I, I you sort of realize at some point that I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing um, no matter what my father tells me not to do so. yeah it becomes a viable career Exactly. Um, Jason, as a writer yourself, what does the collaboration look like when it comes to working with Xander on the scripts? I mean, is it notes? Is it really getting in there? Is it collaborative? Or is it sort of Xander's vision that you just sort of, what does that look like? Well, you know, this was a writer's room, so this was entirely new for me. Uh, you know, there was I think, five or six of us in a room, uh, you know, taking what Xander had written in those first two episodes and finding a way to tell a 10-episode arc of it. Uh, you know, the, you know, I think the, the job of any writer's room is first and foremost to kind of somehow harness that writer's voice, because uh, that's the reason we're all there. Um, uh, you know, the reason I show up for any movie is because I fall in love with the writer's voice. Um, uh, so we're always trying to kind of pay tribute to the way Xander looks at these characters um, and, uh, you know, uh, kind of find a way to play the music in his time. Right. I mean, going into a room like that, I mean, 
I get, you know, obviously you're a very big name and you've had very successful movies. Do you feel like there's a bit of like in the room people will defer to you a bit? You're sort of leading or do you try to fit in and be sort of one of the gang? Uh, you know, I was—I had the least amount of experience in this writer's room, so <laughs> I was the most naive. I, I've, you know, never really done anything in television except kind of direct a couple episodes of uh, a show that was kind of very well established. So, uh, for me, I was learning as I went. Everyone in the writer's room had had some writing and television experience, and uh, I found myself kind of probably asking more questions than anyone else there. And really getting a thrill out of being in a room. You know, all my writing has been alone. So mm. to be in a room with five other writers, bouncing ideas back and forth, um, and kind of learning this kind of this game of, of passing the baton and watching, you know, ideas develop between people was, was nothing short of a thrill. Xander, you know, we, we ask a lot of uh, sort of writers this question. Um, and we'll get different responses. You know, some people will sort of write characters out of what they read in the newspaper or based on friends, and then a lot will write based on themselves. The character of Alex, like, I mean, are you are you writing yourself? Are, are all of them sort of a, a piece of you? I, I like to think Alex is a combination of, of me, of Jason, and Tommy plays him. I think between <laughs> the three of us, between the three of us, we cover that character pretty well. Um, and I think Laura, Laura, the daughter, also has pieces of, of all of us and Tara, who plays her. You know, Michaela's, Michaela's role is probably the hardest for me to write because uh, I don't know a ton of 39-year-old divorced women. Or I, I haven't met them yet. I'm, I'm excited to get to that point in my life uh, yeah. at the moment. I don't know that many there. So a lot of that, you know, our writer's room is mostly, mostly women um, who have lived a version of that life. And a lot of the stories and a lot of the characters come from the experience of our writers. I think the best way to, to make truth in these episodes and these shows is to steal other people's stories that have actually happened to them and sort of turn them into um, a narrative for our characters. And our, our writers were very open to that and gave us, um, you know, gave us their stories to use, which was fantastic. Um, and also, I want to jump in about Jason in the writers' room, which he's very, he's very generous and doesn't take too much credit. But I think when Jason was in there, Jason has this wonderfully disruptive way of coming in and saying, you know, we've, we've all been working in television. We have a we have a format and a structure, and you break out an episode. And then having someone like Jason come in and say, hey, why don't you think about it this way? You know, have you thought about it like this? Not having any of the sort of preconceived notions of what TV has to look like. I think that was incredibly valuable and basically allowed us to look at the show beyond what a traditional TV format was and say, oh, this could be a sort of hybrid TV movie streaming thing that sort of has all these different perspectives. So in that way, you know, I think Jason was basically invaluable as far as shaping the show into the into the form that it is. Right, to look at it with unique eyes and sort of bring a different perspective. Exactly. Um, so, Jason, you know, you get on board, you're going to direct, uh, I know you directed the first two shows or episodes. Obviously, you come from film world, you said you did a bit of TV. When you're going to do these these episodes, is there an aesthetic that you sort of like, I want it to look like this, something specific, or are you sort of, let's just roll with it? Uh, no, I mean, you know, once you're directing, you're directing. And I, I, I had very, you know, I had specific ideas about, you know, what I thought, you know, the house should look like and what the color palette should be. And uh, what was exciting was kind of realizing from moment one that Xander and I seemed to be so much on the same page that, you know, if you, if you handed us each, you know, a book of wardrobe, 
I think we'd come out choosing the same things. If you gave us, you know, uh, a book of, you know, uh, props or production design, we'd come out choosing the same thing. And, and once you're on the same page like that, uh, you just start to get this kind of confidence of, all right, I really respect this guy's opinion. We seem to be on the right page, on the same page. I think we must be going in the right direction. Well, it seems like everything's been so uh, copacetic. Have there been times where you guys maybe didn't see eye to eye on this project? Uh, that's a good question. I think we're mostly in sync. You know, any any the nature of any good project is there's going to be creative disagreements about where a story should go and what a character should do. And I think a lot of times some of the best stuff comes out of us seeing something a little differently and talking out exactly why we see it that way and sort of not necessarily convincing the other person, but also seeing how, how something could be written or structured in a way that we didn't expect. So, you know, tonally we're always seems to be more or less on the same page. I think story-wise, um, yeah, you know, you have 10 episodes this season, 13 for season two. I think the show could go in any number of ways, so there are going to be discussions, but nothing that's ever... Um, Nothing that's ever felt like a major disagreement, unless I'm misremembering. Jason, you've just been seething, thinking. About <laughs> Not at all. In fact, I was actually literally even in the back of my head. I'm like trying to think of a time when we disagreed about something. Um, yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's never been a disagreement. It's more been what you just said is like, uh, what about this? And then it's like, oh, mm-hmm. that was interesting. And then you take it somewhere new. Yeah. Jason, your name being attached to any project is going to give it sort of credibility immediately. Moving forward and thinking about your own career, do you see yourself like acting as a bit of a Judd Apatow type guy where, you know, you sort of are able to help maybe lesser known talent or is it just a project by project thing? Uh, I, I don't think I see myself in any way. I think uh, <laughs> it's great writing and, uh, and I've been really lucky uh, in that I've been able to, you know, uh, direct uh, adaptations of books I love. I've been able to now direct a television show out of a pilot I love, and by virtue of my you know working relationship with Helen Esterbrook, I've been able to produce movies like Whiplash and Demolition. Yeah, uh, Jeff lives at home. You know, with directors who I really admire. Uh, so uh, I love storytelling. I love movies. You know, I hope I get to you know work in film and television for the rest of my life and. So far, I've just been really fortunate in having been able to work with uh, great creative people. Sometimes show creators will talk about maybe the influence of, you know, the online community, the way, you know, viewers are consuming the show. They'll have opinions on things like that. How much do you guys pay attention to that? And has it ever sort of shifted the way maybe you're, you're approaching the story? I don't, I don't really think so. Look, I think any good show is going to have people who love it and hate it. I think if everyone think something is just okay, then you've sort of failed. So my, my hope is that my hope is that some people love this show, some people hate this show. And I think if you try to make a show that everyone loves, you end up with something that nobody loves and everyone maybe sort of likes. So so yeah, look the online community is, is tends to be uh, rabid these days and they all want their opinions heard and they all want um, to have an influence on the story and the characters and all of that. But I think ultimately we have to stay true to who we think these characters are and what they would do and if that involves them doing unpalatable things or going down paths that the audience doesn't necessarily love, hopefully we find a way to turn it around in a way that makes them think and realize, oh, there was a reason for this. We're not just doing it to spite you. Right. Um, as you mentioned, uh, you guys have been picked up for a second season, which is exciting. Um, for especially online network like Hulu, how do they evaluate like what shows get a second season? Is it like sort of like metrics like streaming or is it just like the quality of the creative? How do they sort of decide what goes forward and what maybe doesn't? I, I think we're all. They've shown us the Coca-Cola recipe. No, they. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't we don't know exactly. I think they seem happy enough, and as long as they're happy, they keep making them. But we don't know the we don't know the metrics of any of that stuff. So it's that's sort of outside of our uh, it's outside of our knowledge base. So as the creatives, you sort of are just kind of hanging out, waiting to see if they're willing to go forward. Yeah, I think you make the best show you can, and you don't you don't take anything for granted and assume that. Um, you do good work, and hopefully people like it, and hopefully the network likes it and keeps making it. And if they don't, so be it. Um, you know, we're not beholden to the weekly ratings like a lot of the network shows are, thankfully. So at least we have a full season that we know we're not going to get canceled mid-season. We have a full season to tell an arc to tell a story. Um, and at the end of that, we hope that people like it enough to, to want more. Right. Um, there's so many parts to the creative process, and this is, you know, for both of you, really, from the writing, the casting, the shooting, the editing. Uh, what parts do each of you enjoy the most? I mean, like, is, there, is it like, oh, I love the casting of this, or, I, you know, I, it's really just about the writing, or what part really appeals to both of you the most? Thanks, uh, I, I like writing and editing. Those are my two favorites. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I have a weird, uh, I have this rhythm thing where I've, I like to feel the rhythm of the writing, and then I like to get it on the screen exactly as I feel the rhythm to be. And that, that means, you know, cutting out frames and cutting out air and adding a shot here and there. It's that sort of stuff to get a rhythm that I love and the rest of it. I generally defer to Jason and Helen, who know a lot better than I do. This is Jason. You know, I, I find that uh, the real thrill of working in this business is there's a few magical moments along the way uh, that make the uh, hard work so rewarding. Uh, one is being in a writer's room when all of a sudden an idea clicks. Someone says something that's just magical. Um, and you're hearing an exciting line of dialogue for the first time that you know you're going to put in the script, you know is going to be set uh, on set, and you know is going to make the final cut. And then the next one is when you're on set and you watch a performance that is equally original and magical and and you're watching it in real time, and yet you know people are going to be watching this over and over in the future. Um, and finally, the same thing happens in editing, where you see a cut and you see a piece of storytelling um, that hits your heart or makes you laugh, um, and it surprises you, even though you're the one telling the story. And, uh, and when you feel that pang, you know that the audience is going to get that same experience, except you got to feel it first. I think those thrills uh, make you work as hard as one needs to, to to accomplish a show like this. Okay, we are now in the dessert, what we like to call the dessert of the episode. Uh, we are here with our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Well, we're uh, doing a little bit of a re-record. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the holiday Monday. Victoria Day here in Canada. Yeah, we had this this pod ready to go last week. Yeah, I find that uh, my segment, there's always a little bit of trouble. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, anytime I think we have a really good one, yeah. I know it's it's not going to air. It's going to get uh, cut. Because <laughs> like, this is the fourth one we've had to scrap. Yeah. yeah. Of all 28 episodes, this is the third re-record. By the way. And they've all been due to Shane saying something mildly offensive or Mildly offensive or inducing a possible lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. Um, We've only been threatened twice on lawsuits, Max. Let's not uh, blow it out of proportion. Speaking of that, though, uh, you will probably have to cut this, but I did hear that one of your uh, ex-partners was uh, was asking around if she can file a lawsuit against you for the de- defamation on this podcast. That's 
crazy. <laughs> that, don't you think that's nuts? Of course. And that's that's a very like but um, it, but making it bigger deal than it is. It's just nuts. It's like a self-obsessed narcissism to think that I won't stop talking about her. I've had life experiences where I bumped into her twice. Yeah. That was one of that was on one of the Like it was a pretty big time like uh, harassing her at the share club and then that we happen to almost sit at the same table these are funny larry david-esque things that happen Mm -hmm. and you talk about them right if that's the point of the pot well this actually is a nice segue back into the show because that i think has something to do with the reason why we were re-recording just that very notion like basically i i guess the upsetting part was that i disinvited someone from a wedding which to me was (laughs) okay should we set this up a little so I guess uh, <laughs> the reason we're re-recording. The reason we're re-recording is, um, you know, I, I offended someone in retelling a story of how they offended me, <laughs> <laughs> which was fine. I thought this, yeah. And as it, a courtesy, because this this person is near and dear to us, we sent the pod to that person mm-hmm. for permission. And then it's obviously upsetting because I like I did disinvite this person from the wedding on a Facebook group. Yeah. But I did that almost as a tribute as what this person would do if I offended them. They they usually block me off all social media <laughs> channels. And I'm like, uh, you know, I like to fight fire with fire. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, he exited a uh, he or she exited, <laughs> you know, a. a Facebook and a conversation we were having. And I was like, oh, uh, he or she's going to exit this conversation. I'm going to remove them from my wedding as an exaggeratory joke. Tribute to how they might yeah. respond. Exaggeratory might not be a word. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> you guys get what I'm trying to say. We get what you're okay. saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the human dictionary. I'm the pop culture aficionado. Yeah. So anyway, now we're in a new thing. So we have to mm-hmm. think of something else to talk about. I'm sorry, listeners. You'll never hear what we recorded uh, previously. But we... And- do want to send our sincere mm-hmm. apologies to any friends we've we've offended on the podcast. Or anyone that yeah. listens to this pod that might be offended. Yeah. And it is. It's very hard to do a pod if you're, um, like this person who we removed is very about brands, right? <laughs> and my brand is being honest. And I find a lot of people like honesty, except when it's about themselves, right? Sure. So I have a lot of trouble doing this end segment and not offending people. Even when I try to keep it, Shane focused or anything, I find it offends someone. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a lot of trouble doing these end segments and not just having it being like rainbows and butterflies and bullshit. Yeah. So to sum it all up, yeah, we've offended some people. Yeah, we're sorry. And and I'm as a uh, I do uh, feel bad. Like I hate hurting anyone's feelings, and I consider myself a nice person. And I've never really had an argument with anybody in like. 10 years where it wasn't caused by accident. If I've offended someone, like, you know, comedy is a tricky game. And I find if you uh, don't offend someone 90% of the time, that is pretty good for, like, shooting free throws, but it's a very bad percentage for being funny to offend someone 10% of the time. And so, like, I find, like, five times a year, someone hates me for something I didn't intend to be so bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this has obviously spiraled out of control, and now someone's not coming to my wedding, and it just meant to be kind of like a joke-style statement. Mm-hmm. And now someone's, like, hating me for something I was just trying to do as, like, a, a funny revenge tactic. Are you sticking to the no wedding invite? Well, if the person doesn't want to come, they they don't have to come. And I, but and is I, he re-invited to the wedding? The person. Sorry. Anyone who was invited to the wedding is invited to the wedding. And I... Love all my friends, but just if someone's going to be an asshole to me, 
I don't like that. No one, you guys have never been assholes to me. Not any of the champagne boys have ever been assholes to me except for this one person. So if someone's going to be an asshole to me, I'm going to be an asshole to them. That's fair. And like, you know, Mike and I have had crazy, funny arguments, but they're always just, and it makes sense. And we always laugh about them afterwards. So that, and you know, you and I have never argued. I've never argued with anyone else in a serious manner. So it's very weird when someone is being an asshole to me. It's foreign to me. I'm not used to it. Okay. So, Hey, we're working on a holiday Monday. but I saw, I did see a movie. Oh, if hey, can, yeah. all right, okay. All right. So I saw the movie The Nice Guys. Oh. Which I was very excited for. I thought it was going to be awesome. It had a very high rotten uh, thermometer rating. The trailer was really funny. Trailer's fucking Who's awesome. Again? It's uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan oh. Gosling. They're like a, yes, a yes, buddy yes, cop yes, movie yes, or a buddy trailer. detective yeah. movie from the 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and it's rated R. I love that. Rated R. Gets to keep it real. Gets to have all the swearing, all the nudity, all the things. Was there nudity? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was. It was. It was all substance, though, and very little. Sorry, wait. All that's style. Not, all style and Those very little substance. substance. And it was very fun without being funny. Mm. So they, there is a lot of cringy jokes that fall flat <laughs> in it, and it's a detective story. But all the detective work in it is very. The whole thing's luck. Like, like the, they'll fall out a window and then they'll fall on the bad guy. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of slapsticky. And, and, and yeah. And that's fine in like, uh, if that happens 20% of the time, there's some weird happenstance thing that sure. happens. But that's how the whole thing is solved by all these coincidences constantly. It's sort happening. of like lazy writing. They're like, oh, how are they going to It's find the that laziest guy? writing I've ever seen in uh-huh. a movie, which would be fine if this movie was actually funny. All the jokes fall flat. It's fun. You like the dynamic of Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, but the biggest thing I took away from it is how cool that style is. Like the shirt you're wearing right now, yeah, the Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> it looks so fucking cool. Like uh, Ryan Gosling's wardrobe person did an amazing job. Like every outfit he's wearing, I'm like, I want that. I want that. He's making my mustache cool. You're bringing it back. Yeah, oh, that's right. exactly. My, like on your bachelor party, I got like ridiculed quite heavily for my mustache. Yeah, but they're behind the times in the Bahamas. Exactly. Yeah. So I, th- if I lose 15 pounds, <laughs> I'm going to look very cool. I think like, uh, getting that max, like you're 170 ish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I don't Not know. to be obsessed with my weight, but literally I need to, um, if I don't lose weight, I think it's actually going to cost me money because, um, I have, we got a free photographer for the wedding. But the whole, uh, the, free? it's free because Alex, my fiance, is very beautiful. And uh, <laughs> I'm uh, not, unless I'm 170 pounds, then I can kind of pass as like a good looking guy. <laughs> so this person saw a picture of me when I actually was at a good weight and saw Alex and was like, oh, this is a beautiful couple. I'll do this for free for my portfolio. Really? But when he shows up and sees me, <laughs> we'll probably have to pay like half more. You know, it's not going to be free. <laughs> but the Alex half is paid for. Yeah. Your half it's, will not be. He's going to be so disappointed. And I hate that look of like being humiliated when a person looks at you and they can see like, <laughs> no, it's happened to me like on a blind date. Or, I was just, like, <laughs> this is from the Tinder days. Or like Tinder, like a girl, <laughs> like this one girl I went out with and she showed up and I just, the look of disappointment on her face. <laughs> Was like you could feel it in the room. <laughs> and I just had to buy the dinner and I knew it wasn't going anywhere. Anyway, I'm in 100% Ryan Gosling inspired mode because okay. he's the perfect bod that I want. 
That's it. That's all. That's our episode. I hope you liked hearing about uh, my bachelor trip. It was a good time. I hope you guys enjoyed Jason Reitman and Xander Lehman. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, our Instagram and Twitter is Mike on Much. Leave us a comment on iTunes. The artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com. And uh, a huge shout out to... Um, Actually, you know, he was on the trip. We didn't we didn't really talk about his escapades because uh, that would be uncouth. But uh, shout out to Justin Stockman, who's the boss man. Who's, list- who's probably listening to this to approve it right now. Yeah, he's going to say, cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> the Mike and Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week. We don't die on the weekend. <laughs>